The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's happening tonight, fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here as our spring sports equinox continues. There's stuff going on all over the place. We actually have basketball happening right now uh, as we record this on Wednesday, February 21st. Um, two basketball game, UCF basketball games tonight, uh, men's and women's in action. Uh, baseball's fired up. We softball to talk about. Eric Lopez, is there anything... Like, have we been? Have you been able to breathe this week at all? I mean, it's you know, it's well, it's let's so see. I busy took, right now. Yeah, I mean, I took in the men's basketball game against SMU, women's basketball classic, which we'll talk against the USF. I uh, called three softball games, and I caught a little few innings of baseball, and had to replace my computer. So outside of that, we're oh. you know, jeez, jeez, we're <laughs> uh, talking about a day, huh? But anyway, we've got. Yeah. Um, We've got, uh, what do you call it? We're actually, as we're recording this, UCF men's basketball team is playing Tulsa. We're not going to tell you what the score is right now because this is a podcast and that's useless. But we're not going to be. Especially since by the time you uh, start listening to this, you'll know the result already. So, right. But but we we, will talk about this men's basketball game. We promise. But first, we will talk. We will lead with women's basketball uh, where they are and some of the stuff that you've talked about, Eric. And. Uh, on the site uh, at blackandgoldbanneret.com, where you can follow us. You can also follow us at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret and on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And, uh, oh, by the way, a little bit later, we will have Brian Murphy on uh, to talk UCF baseball, get you caught up on them after their first uh, week on the field for 2018. Uh, You can follow him at spokes underscore Murphy. You can uh, download this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Don't forget to leave us a rating uh, and uh, tell us how we're doing as well. So, all right, let's dive in, Elo. UCF Women's Basketball. Tonight at Memphis on the American Digital Network, our friend uh, Jeff Brightwell was there. Hey, Jeff. Um, It started out not so good. All right, UCF was almost doubled up by Memphis in the first quarter, uh, down 19 to 10 after one. Uh, from that point on, UCF outscored Memphis. This is not, this is not a misprint. 53 to 21. They win the game 63 to 40, 53, 21 in the final three quarters. In fact, this is the most amazing stat for me. They held Memphis without a point for eight minutes at one point in the second quarter. They held Memphis to five points in the second, eight in the third, and eight in the fourth. This team's defense is, uh, is, it, it just continues to get better. And, you know, we were a little bit worried because obviously this weekend they had the big game against USF, the war on I-4 matchup, which... UCF really needed that game as a as a as a marquee victory with USF ranked twenty first. The game went to overtime. Uh, UCF comes up short, seventy seven sixty eight. After uh, you know at the end of regulation, they uh, actually tied the game on a three and had a chance to win after a 
turnover by Kitty Alaxa of USF, but um, but couldn't get uh, a good shot at the end of regulation. And then uh, USF's three-point shooting actually um, came through in the overtime, and UCF came up short in that game, uh, despite the fact that uh, as I'm looking at this, they forced uh, 13, was it 13 turnovers, excuse me, 20 turnovers on USF. Um, but we were worried about the letdown after that USF game. And I know that Memphis is not overly good. They came into tonight 3-10 and 10 in the American, 8-18 uh, and 18 overall. But still, it's a road game in the conference, long road trip. And I got to give UCF some serious props for their mental toughness. Um, coming off of that, really, it really was a heartbreaking loss. And to do what they did to Memphis on Memphis's home floor uh, was a really impressive feat, I thought. Well, I think certainly the question was, what would they have in the tank? I mean, you and I were there at the women's basketball game, and they threw everything. I mean, they let everything go in there. They threw the kitchen sink at USF and and still came up a little bit short. Yeah, it was an emotional game, uh, as we'll get into. I would say maybe maybe arguably the best women's basketball game ever played in that arena. Um, We'll get into it. So you wondered how if they would come out. And I thought the first quarter they came out a little flat. And now you're like, oh, yeah, they might be a little, but they kind of picked it up. And this team is, again, a top 10 defense in the country. They, they they just clamp you down, and that's the advantage when you have defense. And it's a big win. It's a good win for them because, uh, you know, I wrote about this in the blackandgobanneret.com. I mean, the, 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 the margin for error is very small for this team as far as making the NCAA tournament. I think this team's a lock for the WNIT. Um but I do still I think there's a shot they can make the NCAA tournament. Um, but I think the big part of this is you've got to be the at least the three seed. The two seeds out the window. USF knocked off Houston. Uh, they're two up on UCF in the loss column. Plus, they have the tiebreaker. So uh, that, that's probably not going to happen. So if you're UCF now, your target's got to be get that three seed. And that's going to come down to Saturday's game. They're going to play at Houston on the digital network. Houston lost to USF. UCF has a one-game lead over them. But, you know, if Houston beats UCF, they would have the tiebreaker. If UCF wins that game, they would lock up the three seed. So that's what that that's a big game on Saturday. And the reason that's important at the conference tournament, first of all, the top four seeds get a bye. So that's a good thing. But second of all, if you're the four seed, that means you're in the same bracket as UConn for yep. the semifinals. That means you that more likely that. your season ends in the semifinals one way or the like other. It did, <laughs> like it did for UCF last year. Right. Um, so you want to be in the three seed. And I think if you're the Knights, don't you agree with this, Jeff? I think if you're the Knights, you get the three seed. You now, you know, If you take care of business in the quarterfinal, you would get USF if, every, if seed, you know, if chalk holds. Most likely. You would get a, a, another crack at the Bulls, another crack at a resume game. And I think this group... I felt they felt confident they could play with USF. I felt on the court they did not feel intimidated. They weren't like – they felt they should have won that game. They, they're right there with them, and I think they would like another crack at them for obvious reasons. Um, but if you beat USF in that conference tournament and you get to the final against UConn and you play a game like you did against UConn at the CFE Arena where it's 
you're, you you leave watching that game saying, hey, you know what? This team played competitively. They were competitive. And I think that could turn some, some eyes, you know, in UCF's favor as far as maybe slipping into the NCAA tournament. Uh, that's, I think, the scenario. I break it down in there. They certainly don't have the top one, uh, top 50 wins yet on their resume. That's kind of what hurts them. But it's interesting because I've watched the projections. Charlie Cream does ESPN's projection for women's soups, and he doesn't even mention UCF, not even as a team in the field or last four out or next four. He doesn't have him anything mentioned. And it's weird because he's got teams like Buffalo and Ball State mentioned, and UCF's played a way tougher schedule than those teams. So um, I think UCF women's team is, is more of an eye test than the numbers show. Whether that's good enough for them or not, who knows. But I thought that was a very important to get that win against Memphis, set up the matchup against Houston. Hopefully you take care of business Saturday, um, and then all of a sudden you're your three seed, and you're still in good shape in my opinion. Love the breakdown that you gave because um, you can check that out on blackandgoldbanneret.com because you know obviously the, the, the path I think right now for UCF is pretty clear. You do make a very good point that – you know, how is it that UCF isn't even on the radar of the NCAA um, given, you know, I, I mean, obviously a win over USF would have helped significantly, but um, but you got these other two MAC teams in Ball State and Buffalo that you're mentioning as possible at large teams where, really? I mean, that's really what you're going to do um, with uh, with UCF's you know strength of schedule 49th overall Buffalo you mentioned 75th and Ball State 108th um yeah it's just strange and curious but uh, the, the, well the thing that hurts the league right now it hurts UCF it's things they they can't control for example that the American Conference this year is down they're ranked eighth RPI wise for example the MAC is seventh. Uh, which is shocking, really. I mean, the, the American, you consider you have UConn and you're right. eighth. It's a drop off from last year when they were a top five, top six conference all year. Part of the thing that's hurt the league is injuries. Injuries have hurt the league. Uh, in particular, Alicia Froling, for example, is an all conference player for SMU. She's been out for the year with a knee injury. So SMU, which was a WNIT team last year, has not, you know, as a result, has taken steps backwards. Temple who was the finished second in the regular season last year and, and was an NCAA tournament team. They've been without their star player, Butts, the point guard, Alicia Butts, the whole year with a torn ACL. So Temple has taken massive steps backwards. And I think a combination of those things have hurt the league and as a result have hurt UCF because they're not getting quality wins that maybe you thought you would get prior to the season. And I think that's kind of where the American is right now, where – the projections are that they're just going to be a two-bid league at this moment with UConn and USF, and that's what hurts about the USF overtime game. If you would have won that game, that would have been a resume win. You'd be in the driver's seat for that two-seed, and and I think that could have changed some tables. Unfortunately, uh, it, it was just not meant to be, but as a result, unfortunately for UCF, uh, Jeff, I think they have to win out. And they got to make the American Conference final. I think anything short of that, and, and I think UCF will be hosting a WNIT game. But I, this team's capable of doing that. I mean, they haven't given you any reason why they wouldn't uh, give you a, a reason not to believe that. I mean, they have done it with adversity, with injuries. And uh, like I said, if they could beat Houston, and then they have that home finale, and then the conference tournament, they can get on a run. They could sneak in there, and maybe Charlie Cream will actually realize that. And, and I do think... And we'll get. I think too much, and I, I wrote these articles, is because I think what I've learned is that too much is dependent on numbers that really are very misconstrued. Like the MAC has benefited, for example, one of the reasons why Buffalo and Ball State have higher RPIs 
is they you know they they play certain teams in neutral courts or on the road. They don't win those marquee games, but they play them, and so they kind of yeah, get everybody well, does that. The Big Ten and you know Missouri Valley sure, exactly. teams and all that. Uh, and I don't know if there's enough put into weight, you know, certain things. Some certain things in UC, like UCF's played a tough schedule. As, you, as I break it down, and I think that needs to be brought up more than fancy records and things like that. And, and punish a team because of things they can't control. UCF can't control the fact that Temple had a tough year with bad injuries or SMU's had a bad year with injuries. You can't control that stuff. And yet somehow I feel like committee sometimes punishes teams for things they can't control. And I think that's where we're at with the women's team. We'll see what happens. But let's hear Coach Abe, though. She doesn't want to hear about any of this stuff, by the way, Jeff, <laughs> that we're going to talk about because she's just focused on enjoying this win against Memphis. And she was on – with our good friend Jeff Brightwell, who is, of course, the voice of Memphis baseball and women's basketball and is on the uh, baseball for the America Digital Network and the conference tournament. You've gotten a chance to work with him at times. Um, she talked to Brightwell postgame, courtesy of the American Digital Network. Here's what she had to say about the Memphis win, but she doesn't want to talk about what's ahead. Finally, Coach, a win for you tonight and a Houston loss. I put you in the third place, but you turn around in a couple of days, you're going to go down to Houston and face the Cougars. Fantastic. And I just enjoy this one. Yeah, we, we, obviously every game we play is the next biggest game. And so obviously that will, we got to enjoy this one because it's very hard to win here. I don't think our team's ever won here. Um, and, and Melissa does a great job with their team. So we're just going to enjoy this one right now and worry about the next game next time. All right. <laughs> See, oh, there you go. Brightwell getting himself in trouble. All right. So, Jeff, are you going <laughs> to listen to Coach James? She just wants to enjoy this win in Memphis. I want to think about the next game and the next game. She just wants to focus about the present and, and enjoying it, you know, and, and just moving on from there. So uh, I will take her advice. Uh, I appreciate Jeff trying to ask her that question. But uh, we'll just let her enjoy this win for now, and we'll worry about Houston on Saturday. <laughs> well, like I said, Houston on Saturday uh, – Houston is a game back of UCF uh, at nine and five. Uh, UCF is ten and four in the league right now, and then East Carolina seven and seven in the league as of this moment. Um, that's what UCF is looking at, and that is going to be a tough road game against a Houston team that's already uh, won twenty games. The Knights, could, if they win out, can get to twenty wins in the regular season. Um, but you know, like we said, this is going to be—it's uh, not going to be easy. Going forward, by the way, the um, uh, American Athletic Conference Championship starts Saturday, March the 3rd. Uh, UCF would likely be playing in the quarters, starting their tournament rather in the quarters, which are Sunday, uh, March the 4th. So keep an eye on that at the American.org. Real quick, real quick. I want to talk because I know you got uh, your thoughts on the USF game. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'll give you a couple quick thoughts. I know you had thoughts about the attendance and the fans, and if you will, but... I thought it was the best women's basketball game ever played there in the CFE arena. I love the contrasting of styles with USF going, you know, with their flow offense going up tempo, UCF with the defense, half court. I thought it was a phenomenal game. It's the best women's basketball game I've seen in that arena. It might be the best UCF women's basketball game I've seen in person, even though they lost. Sakia Saunders was amazing. It was one of the best women's performances in a women's basketball game I've ever seen. She just tried to will that team scoring-wise and, and wouldn't try to – would not – just did, refused to lose. Unfortunately, USF, tremendous team. They've got, in my opinion, in Loxa and Jesperson, two players they are going to play professionally. If they choose yeah. to, they could play in the WNBA or they could choose to play in Europe for more money. But they're going to be professionals, uh, players. They're tremendous talents. 
Uh, I enjoyed the game. I thought it was fun. I actually thought it exceeded expectations. I think it's the best UCF-USF women's basketball game that I can think of. And that rivalry is kind of with her, with Coach Fernandez and Coach Abe. That rivalry is on the rise uh, for those two programs. And uh, I enjoyed the game personally, despite the result. Credit to USF. I, I have an utmost respect for Coach Fernandez and their staff. They do a great job over there. And they got great support over there. I, I called their game last week against – in their victory against SMU, they get about 2,000 people at their games. He does a fantastic job. Uh, I had a chance to get to know him and talk to him. He, you know, we both have same you know ties. Miami Dade. He's a close with Frank Martin, so he's a great basketball mind. And I think Coach Abe was a great basketball mind. So I, I really enjoyed the game despite the result, Jeff. And uh, I don't know what your thoughts were, uh, but I, I really it was one of the better, uh, enjoyable games that I've been a part of. Well, uh, Z Saunders had 31 points in that game. 14 to 34. Um, I, I'm sad we only see her in a, in a UCF uniform for one season um, because she is, you know, really, as Coach Ava has mentioned many times, a coach on the floor um, and has been the straw stir and the drink for this team with all the injuries that they had and, and the fact that they no longer have um, uh, Zai Lewis either. Um, Zakia has been just absolutely tremendous. Hit the dramatic game tying three. That was the only three UCF made for the whole game. Um, but I think you also have to, you know, I mean, I, I got to tip my cap to, you know, you mentioned Maria Jesperson, who, um, you know, had a, a, a double double, 21 and 15. But really, I, I have to, um, I mean, I look at Kitty Aloxa and say that she's just, she is, in my opinion, the best player I've seen that's not on UConn. Um, nine of 21 from the field, 32 points, uh, not a perfect nine of nine from the free throw line, uh, five threes. And she actually didn't have a, she was actually five of 15 from three point range. And, you know, the defense for UCF was working in that game. They just zoned USF to death. And uh, and just said, we'll let you take your threes. We're not going to let you get inside. And USF still hit him a 34% clip, 11 for 32. Half of, the, half of the shots they made were threes. And they made their free throws, 22 out of 24. So um, you got to tip the cap to uh, uh, Jose Fernandez. You see, uh, USF did a, a, just a, a remarkable job in what was a pretty hostile environment. I was really... My biggest disappointment, and of course this is going to sound like a cliche, but it's true. My biggest disappointment with that game was the fact that there was uh, basically an, the entire road section for USF was full. And they were loud. They were loud in that gym. Not to say that the UCF fans that were there were not loud. They were. But there were probably about a dozen students at that game. That was the biggest disappointment. Um for the students to know that there's a war on I-4 game at home and not show up, especially one that had that much riding on it, um, I, I think was a real, was a real disappointment. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm disappointed in the students that they didn't, you know, that, that they didn't heed, you know, the, 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 the call to come to this game. Uh, because I think had, had we had a decently full student section, um, we could have had a real – I think that would have certainly impacted the game because, in my opinion, the USF crowd definitely did impact the game to the detriment of UCF. 
so that was kind of a disappointment for me on that end. You know what's interesting? I it was, It's unique because I got to call the game for the digital network in Tampa on Valentine's night. That's why you and Murph did the show. Uh, and they have, it's, it's very interesting how complete opposites both programs are when it comes to the fan support. They, the USF women's basketball draws about 1,500, 2,000 fans. I mean, yeah. I, I, I saw it up close. You know, I talked to people up there that have followed that program, and they make the argument that right now women's basketball is probably their second most popular sport behind football. Um, they're into and with it. with good reason. Um, they're good. And, and Jose's a big credit for that. He's been there 18 seasons, yeah. plays an exciting style of offense, shoot the three, push the ball up court. Uh, whereas they're UCF good women's and, they are, and they put a good product out on the floor. They, I'm not Correct. saying UCF doesn't. I'm saying that if you watch a USF basketball game, if you have no dog in the fight, that's a fun team to watch. Correct. Uh, whereas, but so the issue at UCF is – you know this. You go way back to when Gail Striegler was the head coach. I mean, they were winning. They won games when Gail Striegler was there. They made the NCAA tournament when Gail Striegler was there. They made the NCAA tournament when Joy Williams was there. Mm-hmm. And women's basketball has never caught on here. It's not. Um, I've always felt when it comes to women's sports at UCF, if popularity interest, I feel that women's soccer is the number one sport. They draw about a thousand people a game, a big game. It goes even bigger than that. Uh, they're, they're, they're obviously their history, their tradition speaks for itself. Uh, I feel, and some might accuse me of being biased, but I feel that softball has kind of grown in popularity with their success in the last, say, eight, ten years, where they've been pretty much for the most part in a perennial NCAA tournament team. They're number two edging with there with volleyball. And you've done a lot of volleyball. They have their loyal fans there at the venue. And I always feel that women's basketball has been fourth. And and I and, and for whatever reasons, I think part of it. Let's be honest. I think as we've talked about this in past episodes. I think uh, women's basketball's got is in a tough spot because they're always up against men's basketball. Uh, so fans are always going to pick men's basketball over women's basketball. They don't differentiate themselves, and some people just don't like the product of women's basketball. That's been questioned, and and, so, and with turnovers and miss layups and things like that. Um, so I don't think it's ever caught on. It's not just a UCF thing. I think it's across the country. Only maybe a handful of schools kind of like women's basketball. But I, it's at UCF. It just has not ever clicked. Um, will it click? I don't know. I, I Time think, will tell. I think that what like, they're we'll missing, see. Eric, I think that what they're missing, what the program has always been missing, is the signature season. The season that everyone jumps on board. There were a couple good seasons in the a, in the A-Sun, but... They didn't make a run where they were like a truly dominant team and win a first-round game. It, it was hard to do. I think that with Coach Abe's style of play, where this team this team's goal is to be scrappy and just throw a try and throw a wrench into the gears of teams like UConn and USF that want to play up tempo. I feel like the moment is coming. It feels like the moment is coming where everyone sees this not just you know not just a signature win or two, but the signature season. Kind of like what 2013 was for the football team. Um, th- that was where it turned a corner for football. Um, I f- I feel like it's coming. It's not quite there yet, but it's coming soon. It- it's. And when it does, you know, I do think that there's going to be some uh, there's going to that we're going to see a dramatic increase in attendance for women's basketball. 
you know, they already do. I, I feel like they already do a pretty good job, um, uh, you know, you know, promoting it as best they can. It's just a question of, you know, what is the draw for the casual fan to go out there and see, you know, well, but we will see it. I think at some point when I don't know, but I, but it's one of those things that we're going to look back and we're like, yeah, this is the moment when it, when it flipped. We'll see. I think consistency plays a role in that, right? One of the issues, they've been inconsistent. They've had some good years and then the bad years. Um, so I think that's a part of it. I'm but even curious the good to see years what... weren't, like, all that good. You know? Right. Like, like, the two championships that they won under Joy Williams, the two conference championships, those teams weren't – they were talented, but they weren't all that good. They weren't all that dominant. Sure. And, it, and they got hot at the right time. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. They weren't top 25 teams. Right. Um, I think it hurts, too, that you're in a league where you know UConn's going to win it. That doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, if both UConn programs ever, are different. comes back down from the stratosphere, that might be one of the catalysts for it. Yeah, that would probably be when Gino retires, uh, <laughs> which who knows when he wants to do that. It might but, be a long time after Gino retires when you think about it. Correct. So, I, you know, we'll see. Um, time will tell. Uh, they're improving the product. I think Coach Abe's a great personality. Uh, they got a great staff. And, uh, you know, maybe if they keep winning, I think people will come out. It's just it's tough because, again, you're asking people, people are committing to men's basketball. For example, this past week, if men's basketball was playing Saturday, well, people aren't going to go back to back days. I mean, for whatever reason, um, it just is what it is. So it, it will time will tell. And I think she'll get some better players that will have offensive players. I mean, that's the thing. She's only been in her second season. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens down the road, if it catches on or not, women's basketball. I think it's a, it's a, pro, it's a question that a lot of schools keep asking themselves. And, um, look, I mean, softball has grown in popularity. Women's soccer is in popularity. Volleyball is exciting. So I think women's basketball, too, is in a tough spot, Jeff, because volleyball is a fast-paced game. And, and, and exciting, you know, up and down. softball has become exciting, quick game. Uh, soccer is, is unique in its standpoint, especially UCF because of the high level. And, and the, you know, we have professional women's soccer team in, in the market, uh, whereas women's basketball. Now, I like the changes with the four quarters. I think it speed up the game. But I think, the, you know, when t- people see the 20 turnovers and the 30 plus percent shooting, that, that's a turnoff to some people. Fair or not. And I, I think on a bigger scope, I do wonder. Is UCF the will UCF ever get the basketball fan support, both men and women? I mean, we're acting like, you know, the men are getting this incredible support, and I would argue they're not. They're not what they should be getting. So maybe this is not, I don't. I, this might just be a whole basketball state of basketball fan gut check. Are you really a basketball person? Why don't you not like basketball and UCF in general? I think it takes consistency. I think it takes. I, I think that we had a on the men's side, we had a shot at consistency. Um, this year, and then injuries happen. You know that that's a, that I think you know is is going to be one of the great what ifs that we'll have to look at. But but, but uh, let me let me let, let, we'll, we'll, let's turn our attentions to the men's side, obviously, right? Because I, I was on the Beta Sports uh, on Wednesday with Mike Tuck. Mark was obviously at Tulsa. Who's normally hosts the show? He was on before me, and I listened to him, and he talked about how UCF's done some studies as far as basketball attendance and what's, you know, and he said that one of the things they have gotten as far as feedback is, I guess, fans don't like the style, right? Like, oh, it's too defensive. There's not a lot of offense. You know, this UCF men's basketball team is a defensive-oriented team. And my question to you is, 
when did it stop about just be whatever happened to just rooting for your team, regardless of the style of play? Like, the, 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 the difference has been in the last 20 years, and this is this is for sports in general. Um, you know, just just it being your team is not enough. You, you have to make it worth my while. You have to make it worth my entertainment dollar. OK, and look at the rule changes that we've seen in sports across the board. They all promote offense because there's a lot more distraction these days. You know, it, it's and, and the other part is with UCF is because we're in a large metropolitan area. There's a lot of other things to do. It's not like we're in, you know, Clemson, South Carolina, where there's nothing else to do, you know, except go to the Clemson game. Right. Um, it's. There are a lot of choices out there. So if you're going to want me to choose UCF basketball to go to on a night when I have nothing else going on, you know, I, I want my I, I want to make sure I have a good time, you know, and part of that is is an entertaining, fast paced style of play. Um, look at what look at what football was this year. Right. Um, UCF finally got that offense that it wanted and you know we kept tight we kept saying you know where are the fans where are the fans well guess what the fans came on thanksgiving weekend the fans came on uh for the american athletic conference and that you know that last that home stretch was really magical in terms of you know i i think flipping the script of ucf football so i think that's where it's coming from is you know, because of the other choices that we have in the market, you know, what, what, what's going to be worth my entertainment dollar? I want to see fun. But I think that's an is that I feel like that's an indictment on the fan base and fans in general. Like, no, it's not. It's not know, an indictment sure at it all. Is. It's just. It's because just. I a, don't know. It's, because, it's just a fact I, of life. You know, now with with how much we have entertaining ourselves. Yeah, but I want at the end of the day, I, I want my team to win. I don't care if we win thirty to five to thirty, or we win ten to seven, or we you, win. Right, but you, you know, don't. I, but but you and I are not casual fans. Okay, but that, I mean that's fine from a casual fan standpoint. So you're telling me, for example, that what the diehard where, where is like we 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 you were in Atlanta for football, mm -hmm. right? How many people they drew there at football for the Peach Bowl? Twenty, thirty thousand. What was it? Oh, probably more than that. Months. I would say I would say thirty-five thousand. Okay. So, so how many of those were diehards, and how many of those were bandwagon fans? Like, I mean, so I, I, that's the thing that frustrates me a little bit. We had we were there last year in the NIT game against Illinois. There was ten thousand people. You're telling me we don't have seventy-five, eight thousand diehard fans to fill up the to go to the arena? I'm not asking for ten thousand. I'm I'm just saying seventy-five hundred, eight thousand. Like we always have this conversation when it comes to football, and well, how can they not pack forty-three? I find it a bigger indictment that you can't get seventy five, eight thousand people to your basketball arena. I, I, I honestly, I, I don't think so. And the reason why it's not really UCF's fault. Um, we forget that we're comparing UCF's legacy in basketball to that of other schools that have been playing basketball for almost a hundred years, maybe more in some cases. Um, and, and I think that's. That's one of the key things to point out is that that sort of institutional memory, UCF doesn't quite have that. Um, and, and that's, that's, I think, you know, where it, 
you know, maybe when we're old fogies, you know, that, that'll be different. We'll have, you know, a couple more generations of UCF fans coming through and seeing successful seasons of basketball and, and, uh, and, and growing up with UCF basketball as a whole. Remember, this school only started, only started in 1963. <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it's been sort of this, uh, it, 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 and, and here you are competing against, you know, schools in the, in the American that have been playing basketball for a long time and have had tremendous success. I mean, you know, think about the legacy that Houston has. Think about, the, obviously, the legacy that UConn has, for example. Um, you know, and, and even the legacy that schools like SMU have. So that brings us to uh, tonight's men's basketball game uh, on the road at Tulsa. UCF playing at the Reynolds Center where they're under a bad winter weather advisory. They may not get out of there until tomorrow. Um UCF falls to Tulsa tonight, 70-61, to 26 points for B.J. Taylor. Um, but it just, uh, it just wasn't enough uh, as uh, the Knights now, uh, their, their chances of getting a bye uh, are basically all but gone. Uh, they, as, you know, they needed this one over Tulsa because Tulsa's now 10-5. and five. They're in the four slot in the American. Um, UCF is now fifth but two games back of Tulsa, uh, 17 and 10 overall, eight and seven in the league, whereas Tulsa's 10 and five with the identical overall record. So, um, like I mentioned, BJ did everything he could 26 on eight and 19, including four of seven from deep. Uh, Dayon Griffin was four of 10 from three. Uh, UCF as a team, uh, shot 21 of 49, but let's give some credit to Tulsa. They were, uh, led by, um, uh, uh, Jeffries, uh, Daquan, uh, Daquan Jeffries, who had 19 points on six of eight, uh, and uh, Tulsa shot 53.5%. Um, so you know, UCF traditionally good field goal percentage defense team, but Tulsa was able to put the ball in the basket on him, uh, and they hit 16 of their 19 free throws. Uh, Total rebounds, Tulsa had the advantage in that, uh, especially on, on the defensive side. 20-12 to 12 on the defensive rebounds. Uh, and uh, Tulsa also had, um, this I thought was the stat of the game, uh, Tulsa had 23 field goals on 18 assists, uh, whereas UCF had 21 field goals on only 11. So um, that, was, uh, that was pretty much it for UCF at that point. You know, they... They, the game was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was tied at 53 um, with, uh, in, the, in the second half. Uh, but then uh, Tulsa pretty much wrapped it up uh, down the stretch. So, um, so that, that, that's where UCF men's basketball is uh, right now in the standings um, with just a few games to go. They have, uh, they're at Temple. And then they're home for a number 19 Wichita and Tulane to wrap it up uh, in the last weekend of March. So um, their last road game of the conference season will be on Sunday at 2 p.m. on ESPNU at Temple. Elo, we caught a bit of this game before we went uh, as we were going live here. Um, this was uh, th- this one hurt. This one was was seemed like it was a game that UCF could have had on the road, needed to have on the road, but didn't come up with it. Well, it just goes to show, uh, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like UCF men's teams ever win at Tulsa. It doesn't matter the sport. <laughs> um, 
I don't remember football winning there. It certainly didn't win there in the conference championship game in CUSA. What was it back twenty twelve? I believe it was. So yeah, that was a real uh, disappointing, disappointing game. And and uh, men's basketball didn't win once again. They've never won at Tulsa. And I remember it was a bunch of episodes ago. I said one of the keys for the season for men's hoops was can they win at places that they hadn't won before? They've struggled historically and not won before. Uh, in particular, UConn and then Memphis. And Tulsa, three trips that historically UCF has not done well. They have lost. I'm pretty sure they hadn't won in any of those places. Well, they go one and two. And this one hurts, as you mentioned, because this pretty much takes them out of the running for the fourth seed in the conference. And uh, they even mentioned it on the telecast. If you were watching, uh, no team has ever. Now you got, you know, if you don't have a top four this year, the top four seeds get a bye. Which means if you're a five seed or lower, you got to play four games in four days, and that's a lot to ask. No team has won the American Conference tournament in this brief history, went going four for four, which is four games in four days. And then they said going back to Conference USA, which UCF and Tulsa have both both been a part of. I think in the last 17 years, that's only happened once. So, um, and quite frankly, it doesn't happen often. I think Michigan did it a couple of years ago. Uh, did it in the Big Ten. I want to say your Syracuse Orangemen did it. Uh, 2006, they won four McNamara games in four year, days. Right? That was because... yeah, that was Mer- Jerry McNamara's senior year, uh, and I was up there for that, and it was the first time that had ever been done at, at the uh, in the Big East, and that was a huge yeah. deal. Yeah, so unfortunately now UCF's going to have to do that. The good news is they'll be in their backyard, but yeah, I mean they've bought themselves an extra day. Now the battle is you got to fight for. To stay at the five seed, you're still, you know, you're you're in the mix with Temple. That Temple game is still big. Temple's one back in the loss column. You've got Memphis in the mix. UConn, so a lot of basketball to go. Obviously, it hurts their NCAA tournament chances. I wrote about this on BlackAgoBanneret.com. Now, the good news is I kind of, unfortunately, Jeff gave myself an out because I didn't anticipate winning all four games in a row. And I know about the history of Tulsa. Heck, I've been to Tulsa twice. And uh, not had much success either. So three, I felt like this team had to win at least three out of four to end the regular season and then make a run into the final, probably the American Conference Championship to have a shot to make the NCAA tournament. I still believe that. But now because you lose this game at Tulsa, you're almost there in a must win situation. Obviously, you're in a must win situation against Temple. And you might have to win the Wichita State game at home now, which you probably needed anyway. But now you really have to have that game from a resume standpoint and a momentum. But unfortunately, now that, you know, the, the margin gets lesser and less. Tough spot, though. You mentioned it. Tulsa quietly has played very well down the stretch and they've earned the fourth spot. And then uh, more than likely, because I looked at Tulsa's schedule, they do play Cincinnati next. They do have Temple, but they also have East Carolina in between. So I don't see Tulsa losing out. They're probably going to go at, at worst one and two, and that's not good enough for UCF. They'll lose the tiebreaker. That's why this game was huge, and you know it's a tough loss for the guys. Tulsa had answers, and I thought for the first time recently here, Jeff, and I don't know if you disagree from watching the game, I thought this game is where they missed Taco. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I, I, I thought that defensively, especially down the stretch, yeah, it, it it seemed like the interior defense just kind of broke down, and uh, and that was where UCF just needed that help. You know, it was fifty. Yeah, it was with seven thirty eight to go. 
Deion Griffin hit a three to make it 53 all. And from there, uh, man, it, it just it, UCF was stuck in neutral um, from 7:38 until 2:27. So basically, they go five minutes without scoring a point. At the drought point. didn't help, but I, could, I didn't, didn't feel help, confident. But, right? but, it, but I didn't well, feel they could get a stop. Right, they couldn't get a stop, and and what Tulsa did was they attacked the interior. Yeah, they attacked the interior during that run. They went on that. Um, basically, it was a, it was just an eight nothing run over five minutes. Uh, and you know, uh, you look at it, it was, uh, at the scoring, it was, uh, Taplin layup, Jeffries layup, Jeffries layup, two free throws, and then another layup. And, uh, it actually it was, a, actually it was a 10, nothing run, excuse me, um, over that, over that point before, uh, and that's all just, just by attacking the interior. Um, UCF yeah. got tired in that game and that was pretty much the end of it right there. I agree. So Tough loss. You know, I, I was on with Mike Tuck on the beat of sports on Wednesday, and I talked about what a job Coach Dawkins has done with all the injuries. You just you hope this doesn't isn't a sign that maybe things are starting to kind of run out of gas a little bit. We'll see how they respond at Temple. It's still a big game. Uh, if now the, 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 the attention turns to try to finish strong, try to get that five seed, because in that scenario you would play the worst team in the league, which ironically would be USF. Mm-hmm. Um and try to get yourself set up to a best possible bracket you can get and get ready for the conference tournament and make a deep run. So uh, kind of unfortunate from that standpoint. But, uh, man, I just (laughs) – we just – Tulsa, it's just not our friend. I don't – I mean, I can't – I mean, Tulsa, we just – I don't have good memories of Tulsa from a men's sports standpoint. We don't uh, fare very well. And it's a tough trip and uh, tough, tough, tough team usually. They have usually pretty good teams. So – We'll see how they bounce back, Jeff. Still, uh, we'll see. They got to bounce back against Temple. There's yep. no time to lick your wounds, and that's is a challenge. You mentioned the weather issues there, so they're probably going to get back late. Third, you know, they got back late and everything. I should say, you know. Now the good news is the Temple game is Sunday. Thankfully, it's not a Saturday game where you have a quicker turnaround. But you know, you're going from Tulsa to Orlando. Now you're going to go to Orlando to Philadelphia. Interesting to see how they handle that. Well, Temple's seven and eight in the league, uh, and weird team. Overall. Weird team. Weird team, though, can't because they're capable of beating anybody. They they got a great resume. They just can't be consistent. I mean, they are a weird team, uh, to say the least. So that is not a gimme. And then Wichita State, we know them very well. That's going to be exciting to see them up close in person a week from now. Hopefully, the crowd will show up. I know we just went on this rant about lack of support. Can we show up for that game, or is that too? Is that entertaining enough? No, <laughs> Jeff, help. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let it go. <laughs> well, there you go. Three three games to go, though. And the, and by the way, the tournament does start with the first round on Thursday, March the 8th, uh, here in Orlando and Amway. So at least UCF has that going for them. Uh, for more on that, visit theamerican.org. All right, let's take a breather. When we come back, Brian Murphy's going to join us to catch us up on baseball. And uh, Eric Lopez will just throw the microphone to him and let him talk about softball for a little while and catch up on everything else that's going on in the world of UCF sports. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast, and we are back after this. The Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, 
If you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give him a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube. Like us on Facebook. Facebook and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy joining us as we uh, transition over to baseball. Murph and... Uh, um, wow, all of a sudden, here we are in baseball season, uh, and uh, a little bit of a disappointing start for uh, UCF uh, to the 2018 uh, year. One in three, we're starting quite some time. I actually got off. Things looked like they were going pretty good after the win over number 15 Virginia at home in the opener, but since then, the Knights have dropped three in a row. Two of them at home, 5-4 to Rice, 5-4 to Samford, and then one to nothing at Stetson in the first game between those two, uh, since, uh, or, or uh, first game actually at Melching Field up in Deland, I think since 2012, if I have that right. But, um, mm-hmm. That's correct. What's going on with this? It, 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 this is a surprising, surprisingly unfortunate start. Yeah, and it's, you know, some of it is just sort of the weirdness of baseball that this team is also very close to being probably 3-1 and one and maybe 4-0. and oh. The three losses have all been one-run losses. Uh, two of the losses here at home, you know, were, you know, against Rice. The Max Wood hits a line drive that if it's about a foot higher, wins the game. But uh, the Rice shortstop makes a good leaving play on it, ends the game with the bases loaded in a one-run game. The next day, uh, the Knights uh, have a man thrown out at the plate to end the game, another one-run game. So, And then last night, the pitching gives up three hits, but uh, the, the offense can't do anything. And so, you know, it's frustrating just because the offense has been lackluster, especially for the last couple games, especially, especially last night. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that. Well, Barrett, let me ask you this. I mean, you mentioned I mean, the Stetson game in Deland. This is a Stetson team that's probably going to be the favorites to win the A-Sun. It's a top 25, yeah. top 30 team. Rice is always a perennial NCAA tournament team. I think they've won a sh- at least a share of Conference USA, either the regular season or the tournament for like the last decade or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
maybe uh, is there really that cause for concern or is it a fact that, hey, you know what, this is what happens when you don't open the season with Siena. You actually play real baseball programs. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> Stetson, people, people, you know, may prefer Stetson uh, in Orlando, but they were the, the, the wide favorite to win their conference. They probably should make it to the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, their pitching is really deep and very good. And you have saw that last night, even though the Stetson, the Stetson starter isn't even, isn't even part of that group of guys they expect to, to be really good. Stetson, you know, has three guys coming back who I think struck out 100, 100 batters last year uh, as starters. So they're very good. That's not a bad loss. The Rice loss is not a bad loss. And, you know, UCF is literally a hit away in each game to 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 at least winning one of those, if not both. Um, you know, the issue is it's the offense. The pitching has been phenomenal. Uh, the starting pitching has been good. J.J. Montgomery, in my estimation, has been the best player, like the most impressive player. Uh, Juco transfer this year. A uh, big, tall right-hander who's got a 97-mile-an-hour fastball and some really nasty breaking stuff. He's been almost unhittable at times. Um, we saw that uh, in the first game of the year against Virginia. He was just fooling a top-15 team. He's been very good. Uh, Joe Sheridan was good, much like we saw last year. Thad Ward struck out, I think, the first – I think Thad Ward's first seven outs were all strikeouts last night when he started against Stetson. Um, so the pitching is there and it's, it's deep and it's, it's, it's talented. It's just, the offense is struggling. They're scuffling. They are pressing. Everybody knows this and they have faced good teams and they are a, a hit or two away from being probably three and one. Listen, There's a lot Elo, of you cast, ca- careful Mark. casting aspersions on Siena because they come here March 10th through the 11th. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever, whatever. Uh, enjoy their spring break. Let me ask you, Murph. This offense struggles. How much of this is the fact that it's youth, a lot of new faces in the lineup, and how much is it, uh, you know, is, is it kind of a, a blip in the, you know, we kind of always kind of blow things out of proportion in baseball when, you know, the start of the season, you're struggling. Nobody nobody kind of breaks this down in like halfway through the year when you're on a three-game road trip or whatever. It slumps happen in baseball. But how much of it is youth and, you know, some guys still learning the, the, the play with each other or play at, at this Division One level? Yeah, you know, Greg Lovelady, the manager or head coach, uh, conceded that uh, over the weekend, said, you know, a lot of these guys have not played at D1, and some of the struggles that we're seeing early on are sort of the adjustment level that these players are experiencing. Um, guys like Brody Wofford, who have uh, really, really struggled early on, and guys who are, you know, in this in this lineup every day, uh, even guys like Dallas Beaver, who was here last year but is, is now the three-hole hitter for this team, uh, he's being asked for a lot. So even guys who were here last year but didn't get a lot of playing time, it's different for them too. Um, it's different for basically everybody except for Matthew Micah and Rylan Thomas. Uh, everybody else is sort of in a new role, in a new environment, and adjusting to a new, uh, basically a new game. And so that's going to take some time. Uh, you know, he, you know, Lovelady even said in the preseason that it's going to probably take weeks. Uh, and he mentioned the, the first five weeks of the non-conference season. So, you know, this is not terribly unexpected. I think it's just frustrating in that a lot of times we're not seeing good at bats. Um, they're, they're, you, can see, you can see the guys are pressing. They're swinging at balls way out of the zone. Uh, they they want to get that big hit, but they're really they're putting too much on themselves right now. We'll see what happens 
down the road here in the next couple of weeks. You know, once now that we're past these first four games, we do have some series against like Savannah States and Wagner that on paper seem much, much easier here at home. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the offense there. Plus, this should also repeat that, yes, we are four games into a 55 game regular season. Let's <laughs> let's not uh, panic yet. And I will say that there is no panic yet here. Uh, Lovelady told us last night that there will be no changes for the lineup as of yet. Yeah, that's the key. Don't don't panic. We're it, it's we're only four games in, and mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up the upcoming series because they go Friday, Saturday, Sunday against uh, Savannah State at home, and then Tuesday at Bethune Cookman at uh, Jackie Robinson Ballpark up in Daytona. Uh, that's a Tuesday uh, evening. So the next these next four games, um, I imagine Brian that you just like I imagine Coach Lovelady are expecting this team to sort of pull things together and take care of business. No. Yeah. And you know, they're really looking forward. This sounded weird. They were, he said that, you know, we're really looking forward to getting just a few days of practice. You know, they did not practice on Monday. Uh, they took a day off. So they really hadn't practiced as a team since before the, the start of the, the, the game, the season, the start of the season, really the game against Virginia. So they're looking to take a couple of days here to just sort of uh, reset a little bit. Uh, and we'll see what happens when they come out this weekend. Granted, it's it you know you, you also need to judge it on a curb. Savannah State is not very good. They've won I think twelve games in each of the last two years. Uh, they have not been a five hundred team in any of the last four years. So it's not a good opponent. There should be some wins here this weekend. So if the offense explodes, we also need to understand who they're doing it against. They're not doing it against Florida, which they will have the opportunity to do so in about two weeks. Right. Right. All right, Brian. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on this one and uh, three new games up at John Yuliana Park. By the way, um, your thoughts so far on uh, how how they've been working on the construction uh, with the ballpark now? You know, because I mean, you know, I, I mean, I was there a couple weeks, uh, actually a couple days before the start of the season. It's still you know a massive construction zone, but it seems like they are really you know, moving things pretty quickly. Um, thoughts on that real quick as we, uh, as we wrap up uh, our little, uh, our, basically like our little version of diamond <laughs> notes here, if you will, to throw back yes, to if Peter only I was, if, if only I was Peter Gammons. Um, you are Peter yeah, Gammons, it, Brian. That's what oh, you are. Oh, thank you. Oh, it just, I think, I think Eric called me the buster only of UCF baseball, which right. whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that, that just means I'm a little bit more old school than Eric. That's fine. Well, only as a Yankees fan. So he's got that part right. <laughs> Uh, you know, every day baseball, you said baseball's Twitter account is putting up new photos of, of the construction site. That is John Yulano park. And if you go there every couple days, you can see real changes being made. Uh, and I will say kind of like, you know, look, I can't wait to see what the thing's going to look like in a couple of weeks. You know, the soft, the soft grand opening date is that Florida game on March 6th, but we'll see, you know, but as it is right now, like just selfishly for the media, I'm really enjoying sitting like right behind home plate on the concourse. Uh, we're situated at like these really cheap plastic tables, but like you're right there in the open air. You've got the, the, the second deck above you. So it shades you out from all the sun. Um, I'd say stop building. I say stop building. Just Aww. leave it as it is. Yeah. You, yeah, you say like, that yeah, until the great. first it's really, great. you say that until the first hey. really good rainstorm blows on through. 
And we'll all head inside. We'll all head in the bathrooms. Head inside, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you, right. so, you sound like yeah, you sound like a guy who's never broadcasted a game outdoors or have lost a, has had equipment failures out because you've been outdoors. I can tell oh, you that. Where, where, where? <laughs> by the way, by the way, two two things here because I was there Sunday. I mean, and yes. uh, we had a Aaron Fit from D one baseball covered this weekend for uh, the mm-hmm. UCF Virginia and Rice. I know you had some. Uh, First of all, you had some uh, interaction with him, and you had interaction with a legendary Wayne Graham. Just talk about those two, th- uh, what Aaron Fitt had to say, if he talked about UCF or that weekend in general. And then you're uh, the old man, Wayne Graham, still going strong. Yeah, Wayne Graham, you know, the the head coach at Rice, has been the head coach at Rice, I believe, for 27 years. or And it's like a, it's, this is his 37th year in college baseball. He is a college baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, so before the UCF Rice game, there was a game going on between Virginia and Samford, and Wayne Graham kind of pulled up with his with his uh, backpack or or a la- like laptop case of sorts, and just kind of chilled out for like a half hour. And so me, Aaron Fit from D1Baseball.com, and Wayne Graham were talking, and uh, Wayne did a lot of the talking because he was telling stories about Roberto Clemente and World War II. And it was just phenomenal. Wow. Uh, so that was, it was really just great. And then Aaron was there all weekend. Um, you know, had some very good stuff to say. If you go on Aaron Fitz timeline and go back on Twitter and go back to last uh, Friday and Saturday and Sunday, had some very good things to say about guys like Cree Frenfrock. Uh, he did jinx Matthew Micah though. He called Matthew Micah, like he, was, he said, he was really impressed with Matthew Micah's footwork and defense uh, against uh, Rice. And then right after that, Micah made a huge error and actually made another error later that night. So I will say that if Aaron Fit comes back and has anything to say about UCF, he just needs to be a little more careful because he seems to have some bad juju. It's wow. kind of cursing him a little bit. Wayne Graham is 81 years old. He uh, yeah. is his her career head coaching record is 1,675 and 514. And here's my favorite fact about him. Um, he played 20 games for the 1963 or 1964 New York Mets where he played under Casey Stengel. <laughs> so that, so that gives you an idea of the, uh, of the experience of, uh, Wayne Graham. And I know that, you know, UCF and Rice are no longer in the same conference, but, um, but it's, it's good to see, it, it, it is always good to see Wayne around. It, it kind of, you know, kind of wouldn't be the same without him, uh, coaching. So, and All right, Jeff. When I was at, when I was out there on Sunday, when Wayne Graham came out to the mound, because Wayne Graham still makes his own pitching changes at the age of eighty-one. <laughs> when he came out to the mound, Eric Lopez's reaction was like a child seeing Santa Claus for the first time at a mall. <laughs> Listen, man, it he's was, still going. He's still going strong. He's still he's running faster now than he did ten years ago when I watched him at Reckling Park. Uh, yeah. in a game against Oklahoma State, that guy's still moving. He's moving, man. He, he he's not. A, he's still getting an umpire's faces, man. God bless him. Eighty-one <laughs> years old. We should all be that lucky at eighty-one. We, um, we should all be that, that lucky at a, a half that age. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're telling me. You're telling me. All right, Brian. Thanks for keeping us updated on UCF baseball. And uh, what do you got coming up this week? 
I'll be writing a thing tomorrow that'll be on the site tomorrow night. Uh, just kind of a recap of the four games and where they go from here and sort of the good, bad and ugly of what we've seen in the first four games this season. Again, it's four games. All right. Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. You can follow him. I try frantically to retweet everything he does uh, UCF related and sometimes not UCF related. Uh, thanks again, Murph. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. Thanks, bud. All right. Thanks again to uh, Brian. Again, follow him on Twitter at Spokes underscore Murphy for all the latest uh, UCF baseball news. Uh, flipping over to uh, the other diamond of interest, UCF softball, Eric Lopez. I always, you know me, I like to defer to you on this. Um, <laughs> softball right now, obviously they had the, um, you know, not a bad start to the season, um, certainly, but they're, uh, with the tournament in Longwood that we talked about last week, you know, I mean, three and two against some pretty good competition. They're at six and four right now. Um, lost uh, or actually split their games at the at Disney D nine Invitational uh, this past Friday. Uh, lost eleven to nothing to UNI, um, and then came back with a thirteen seven win against LIU Brooklyn. Um, obviously, pitching was at a premium. Uh, and then came home uh, and uh, took two out of three um, at home, lost to Texas Tech, but have won their last two, uh, two to one game against FA, uh, excuse me, FAMU, and then uh, a one nothing eight inning victory uh, over Hofstra. Uh, yet another walk off uh, victory for uh, UCF softball early on in the years. Cassidy Brewer uh, has done it again. Six and four start. Um, is this about where you thought they would be? It's a weird. It was a weird kind of a few days, to be honest with you. Uh, I think this team. We you know we just talked to Murph about the youth and the offense for UCF baseball. Well, this team softball's got youth everywhere. I mean, you're right now. They're starting a freshman at shortstop in Caitlin Jensen. You've got uh, a freshman in Shopacker who's playing the outfielder in the outfield, either left, right, or center. She's already played three, all three outfield positions. Yeah. That tells you how flexible they are uh, uh, on that position. You've got Aubrey Johnson at second, who's a sophomore. You've got uh, Jasmine Esparza, who just got back after having an appendix taken out. Uh, she's now a sophomore playing first base. You've got Klarkowski, who's a sophomore. You've got Glover, who's a sophomore. Your pitching staff's all full of sophomores. So it is a young team. So – a little bit of everything, up and down. Uh, the D9 was a weird one. You mentioned Northern Iowa. The, what you didn't mention was LIU Brooklyn. They were down 7 to nothing in the third inning mm-hmm. and came back to win 13-7, to which is the largest comeback in program history. So this team went from, in one day, from being outscored at one point eighteen to nothing to scoring 13 unanswered. Until it was the most bizarre day that I can remember in a long time. And then, you know, Saturday they lost a tough one to Texas Tech. Out of the Big 12, they got some good pop. They, they, they got some good defense and a good outing out of Demera Bayesian, who bounced back after a bad start against LIU Brooklyn to beat FAMU 2-1 to one in a game that ended with a dramatic double play. FAMU had a runner at first, one out. They get a hit and run. They execute it perfectly, hit a baseball to right, or hit the softball to right field for a base hit. The problem is the runner is going to third. They challenge Shopacker's arm. She guns down the runner at third, and then Roten throws to second. They tag out the runner to end the game. So that's how the Knights won two to one. And then you mentioned the Monday game against, to me, on paper, the best team of all those teams I just mentioned, Hofstra, who I think is going to win the Colonial Conference. They have an all-region pitcher 
in Sarah Cornell in the Knights. Aaliyah White with her best pitching game of the year matched the career-high seven strikeouts, looked dominant uh, by far after kind of two shaky starts over the uh, the weekend. And, Bar- and Brewer with the walk-off, her second of the year. She beat Illinois on a walk-off hit. This one, she drives it. So a bit of an up-and-down is the way I would describe it. Uh, maybe, I guess, they're kind of where I thought they would be, but just in a completely different way. I'm kind of waiting to see if this te- when this team can put it all together. It seems like each game it's either been the offense is clicking, but the pitching's not, or the pitching's clicking and the offense is not. That's kind of been the story, but there's certainly a lot of upside with the youth on this ball club, but uh, it, it was a, a unique uh, few days. I, I, I'll be I'll be good to quite frank with you on that. Aaliyah White is four and four. Um, obviously, she's the ace in the hole. Is she? I mean, have you noticed the improvement to this point, or is or is she still trying to figure it out? Is this? Is she more or less in an extension uh, of her freshman year, at least at this point? Well, she's definitely better, um, especially Longwood. Uh, the outliers was the Northern Iowa start and the Texas Tech start. Those were kind of – and, and I, look, she's quite honest. She's had a heavy workload early in the season. Knights have had injuries in the pitching staff, so she's had to pitch more than probably they would like right now. Uh, they should have Cameron Tony back real soon. She hasn't yet pitched. She's had an injury, but she has been cleared and should pitch soon. I don't know if she'll pitch this weekend in Jacksonville or if she'll pitch in San Diego or if she'll pitch – by Clearwater, it depends on how everything goes and, you know, got to get back into game shape, if you will. So as a result, she's had to carry the load. She's she started games. She's had to close games. Uh, I noticed she looked fresh on Monday against Hofstra. And that, I, I, you know, after a day off, I think did her a lot of good. And uh, I, I think she'll be fine. Uh, she's definitely has more endurance this year than she did last year. You remember last year, she had time struggled to get through seven innings in one game. Uh, she's been able to throw multiple games this year. The key with her, uh, Jeff, unlike Shelby Turnier or McKenzie Otis or even going back to Allison Kime, when those pitchers were off their game, they still had enough firepower to where they can kind of get by with very with not good stuff on that particular day. Aaliyah, when her stuff's not working, that's where she gets herself in trouble because at this point in her career, she can't just overpower lineups. So that's – I think it's kind of part of what happened uh, in the Northern Iowa start who they were clicking on all cylinders in Texas Tech. I think that's the story there, but I'm not concerned about her long term. Uh, in fact, I had a chance to talk to her and Cassidy Brewer following the Hofstra win, exclusive here on the Black and Go Banneret. This is where you only get these interviews. Uh, talk to Cassidy about the walk-off win and talk to Ali about working together and, and feel it and what was clicking as they get ready to go to Jacksonville. Here's my interview with Cassidy Brewer and Aliyah White. I felt good that Aliyah didn't have to go back out there because we were working really hard all day to keep the hitters off balance and stuff, and it was really fun to be able to do it for the team. Um, it was a great job for Megan and Denali to get on base and be able to give me the opportunity um, rather than Aliyah going back out and pitching a whole other inning. Aliyah, what was clicking for you today? Um, today, I just felt like everything was um, going good, and I was hitting my spots and letting my defense work for us. You mentioned your defense made some great plays behind you, some double plays. Talk about your defense behind you. They really have your back all season. Yeah, they definitely do have um, my back, and I know that whatever comes at them, they'll field it, and we just play to win. 
Did you feel early on this was going to be a pitcher's duel? Because, you know, Sarah, for them, there she's very good. She was on her game, and you were on your game matching her. It was a pitch-for-pitch pitch game. She is a very good pitcher, and I definitely knew coming in when she sat us down for standing that it was going to be a battle, and whoever was going to win is if this one wins. Talk about your catcher, Cassidy, there, your tag team partner there, calling the game and getting the winning uh, RBI. You know, me and Brew have been working together for, what, a year and a half now, and um, – Pretty much, we read each other's minds, basically, and, you know, we just are a good pair. Did you have any flashbacks to Illinois for the walk-off? <laughs> a little bit. I like the situation. It was more a little more stressful, two outs, but um, I was just trying to hit the ball hard. How important is it gets this win? This is still a young roster. Both of you are actually one of the veterans on the way with so many young faces. I mean, you know all the ups and downs of a, of a season. How do you kind of keep them going there and get a win here now as you go on the road for the next two weeks? I think that beating a pitcher like we beat today um, really gives us a lot of confidence to go into this weekend with the people that we're going to be playing. Um, I think just every game that we're getting more and more confident with, like bonding with each other and working with each other and um, fighting for each other. So it's, a, it's a really exciting to see the type of atmosphere that we're building. Now you carry this over to Jacksonville, Leo. What's kind of the approach here? You got some time off until the weekend when you go on the road here. You got to enjoy that time <laughs> off, right? A little bit, a couple of days, right? Yeah, we're going to get two days, but I think we're just going to come in and, you know, I think we're prepared. We got what, we got what it takes and we just got to play our game. All right, there we go. Cassidy Brewer and Aaliyah White. I was following Monday's win against Hofstra. And uh, look, Jeff, I, I talked to the girls about it. It's still a young team. And I'll tell you, you're, I can't wait. When you get a chance to go out there, Wait till you see Caitlin Jensen play. She hit a home run in the Texas Tech game. Tremendous star power talent. Tremendous talent. Young. It's the first player, and I don't like to make this comparison. It's the first player. This is my 12th season of UCF softball. It's the first player that has that has have similarities and reminds me a little bit of a certain Hall of Fame softball player that you know very well. I won't mention the name because I, I don't like I've never compared a player to her. It's not fair. She uh, but but this kid is very has an unbelievable upside in her future. Bright kid. Uh, I'm really excited about her. I think she's the best prospect they've had there coming in as a freshman, probably since Natalie Land and you covered Natalie Land. But this kid's got pop. This kid's got power. Just give her some time to figure some things out. She's off to a great start already, but I, I am impressed with her, and I'm impressed, impressed with Denali Shopacher, who to me reminds me of Willow Callanen, who's got some base running instincts that remind me of Kaylee Novak, who's the stolen base queen. Those are two of the young freshmen that are already making impact, and, and there's others, but I'm telling you, Jeff, there, there's the upside of this team for the future is incredible, but I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, Patience is going to be the key, and I think if we've learned anything in the last few days is this team is going to have its ups and its downs, so you can't you can't get caught in the moment. It's part of a lengthy process. They're going to have their ups. They're going to look great at times. They're not going to look at great at times, but I'm telling you, the, the talent is the upside for the future is really good. It's just how long will it take for some of these girls to kind of figure it out? You know, everybody, you got to let them kind of work that out on their own you know, pace. So let me take a look at the schedule now because we're still in this funky pre-conference play um, situation where you're playing a gazillion games at once before the schedule kind of spreads out as you head into conference play. Next up is the Green and Gold Classic uh, hosted by uh, JU, Jacksonville. Um, Western Carolina twice, Penn State, James Madison, who's ranked number 23, and uh, JU uh, are on the slate. Two games Friday, two games Saturday, one game Sunday. What is 
a uh, good performance for UCF in this uh, based on your estimation? And what are you expecting to see in these next five games? Because this is uh, this is not an easy tournament. No, I mean, James Madison. Now, granted, James Madison is without Megan Good, who's out for the year with a knee injury. She was a top three player of the year finalist. You saw her up close last year, what she can do with her bat and her arm. But they're still a team that's won a lot of games. JU has got a lot of experience coming back. Eric Ayers enters her first year as a head coach. They're the host team. They're, you know, Penn State has got some improved players. So I think a three and two type weekend would be good uh, on the road. I just want to see more consistency on this team. But this is an important kind of a road trip because you got five games in Jacksonville. Then you go up to San Diego where you're going to play San Diego State and you're going to play the UCLA's of the world. So this is an important road trip. They don't have a home game until March 6th. So kind of a growing process for this team. So I, I think a three and two type weekend uh, would be good. I think anything better than that would be fantastic. Uh, but you just want to see some girls kind of grow. And let me just say one thing about Cassidy. We just heard playing her second full year as a catcher is on track, I think, to be – I mean, her improvements as a catcher this year to last year is enormous. She's aggressive. hasn't Her arm is better, calling the game. She's on track that by the time her career ends, she might arguably be the best catcher in the history of the program. And that which is remarkable concerning she hasn't – you know, she just started catching like two years ago in Baylor when she had to fill in in an emergency situation for Samantha McClowski, who was banged up with an injury. And she had to play catcher for the first time in her life. And here we are three years later talking about her maybe being maybe the best catcher in the history of the program. I don't know what – tells you about the kid's work ethic and or her dedication. Yeah, I mean she's uh, I mean she's already established herself in lore more or less um as a uh, as a clutch hitter. I mean that, that, yep. that and already in her career. So um boy, it has been um it has been quite a ride and and something um just a junior. Yeah, something fun to watch, something fun to watch. So um all right, so let's wrap this thing up here. Oh, I just wanted to catch up on uh, a couple things real quick while we have the opportunity. Uh, tennis. The uh, men's tennis team, obviously, we're still, uh, we're still waiting on a uh, result, at least as of right now. Well, actually, no, the result actually I think should be in. Yeah, UCF defeated Stetson 5-2 to two today. Uh, in uh, on the road in uh, or, excuse me at home at the USTA uh, national campus. So they so we thought that there would be this month long break. Well, they added Stetson to the slate late, and uh, and now at least according to the schedule, they don't play again until Saturday, March the third, at home against Michigan. But at least they got that match against Stetson in um, to get you know one more during that long break that they had. Uh, so the men's tennis team right now. Uh, stands at four and two. Women's tennis still at six and one. Uh, they play Friday at TCU. They're at, at, they're on that Texas swing. They play Friday at TCU in Fort Worth, and then travel Sunday to College Station to play Texas A and M before they come home uh, on uh, Saturday, March the third, to play uh, Michigan as part of that Big Tennis weekend down at the uh, USDA National Campus. So keep an eye on that all right elo as we wrap this thing up what do you have coming up this uh this weekend that you want everybody to know about well just follow me on twitter eric lopez elo as i mentioned we mentioned earlier in the episode read my blogs 
uh, the two stories on the UCF women's basketball team's chances of making the NCAA tournament as a result, of course, winning uh, tonight against Memphis. What do they got to do the rest of the way? As well as men's basketball, uh, as well as they get ready to go against Temple, and they got Wichita State, the big one, next week. So uh, you can read that on Black and Go Banneret. Um, and as well as, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I'm going to be obviously doing some work on fastpitchnews.com, which is a softball site nationally. Uh, did a podcast, interviewed Ashley Waters, the head coach of BU, who had orchestrated one of the biggest upsets in recent memory in the regular season of college softball. They knocked off number one Oklahoma, where, uh, and you're a big advanced stats guy. BU was given a 7% chance of winning this game prior to the game, and they pulled it out. So we uh, mm-hmm. had a chance to interview her exclusively on in the circle on fastpitchnews.com. So you can check some of my work out uh, there as well. And again, one more time, I want to thank uh, Mike Tuck, too, for. Uh, let me a chance to come on on the uh, beat of sports. Yeah, that was good. On, Thanks uh, to on, Mike for uh, for having you on and uh, and giving us a little pub there as well for the site. So uh, I mean, we you and I have known Mike for quite some time. So um, so we really appreciate his support as well. No question. I was on seven forty on ninety six nine. So uh, good stuff there. Good stuff too. So uh, this weekend, you know, I had that. You know, I don't want to be. Um, bad luck <laughs> you know but i uh but i what do you call yeah you know, obviously i did um pa for that uh, ucf usf women's game um and i want to thank again um all the folks with ucf marketing um who for some reason keep bringing me back uh chris welsh especially for his help on that too uh it's always a pleasure to work with him no matter what the sport he knows how to make it a lot of fun so thanks to chris thank you eric and uh, thanks also to uh, brian murphy who uh you can follow him at spokes underscore murphy on twitter he's going to be following uh, baseball all throughout this time and uh, as we head down the stretch with basketball it should be fun as well as uh, we'll be keeping th- keeping an eye on things as both ucf teams uh as eric mentioned with those two blocks uh hurdle towards hopefully postseason play So for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, blackandgoldbanneret.com. And also uh, this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.